Harrison Price for Wednesday, June 28th, 2023, draft day. We're coming to you from the Go Goat Sports Studio built by Arbor Lee, and that's here at the iconic Wall Center, downtown Vancouver, if you need a place to stay, either here or at the airport, might we suggest the Weston Wall Center. YVR. Mansik Harris alongside Blake Price, Grady Sass hitting switches, conducting things in this show, a presentation of the Applewood Auto Group. You know what they say, Blake. It's all good at Applewood. It's all good at our studio as well. We finally have the Applewood signage up oh. on the outside of our glass here at the Sher- at the Sheraton Wall Center. Couldn't be more happy to mm-hmm. be representing. I will say this, though. I've given you the great clips line for years now. Yeah. I'm not going to be as generous with it's all good at Applewood. I mean, I need to hit that a couple of times over the course of this sponsorship. You just desperately want to say it. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it's an all-time slogan. If well, you starting me. probably next week, we're going to be getting a little bit more detail on the cars. Yes. Bodog poll question today. Would Tom Wheelander have been your choice with the 11th overall pick? Yes, no, or you can vote unsure. You just want to see the results. Vote at Sikarison Price on Twitter. Bodog, your source, free casino games, poker strategy, and sports odds. And look, the odds for the Pacific Division next season are out. Where do you think the Canucks rank? A-team division. They are the what choice and what to one, Blake Price. Man. Um, uh, so I've got I've to pick both? Eight teams in the division. Yeah. But They're obviously the not favored. They're not last. Tell me where they are oh, amongst the eighth. I see. Uh, they are the sixth favorite. Very good, Blake. Odds at 20 to 1. 14 to 1 mm. on your Bodog line of the day. Congratulations to the 36% who voted for Tom Wheelander on yesterday's Bodog poll question. Who do you think the Canucks will draft in the first round? We got 2,500 votes on that. Wheelander was the choice of the public at 36%. Other got 29%. Zach Benson, Langley Zach Benson got 23%. And Nate Danielson, the Brandon Center, got 12% of the vote on yesterday's Bodog poll question. And just on YouTube, we actually had a tie for first. Wheelander and Simashev at 33. Mm. Benson third, Danielson fourth. Actually, sorry, other was 10%. Danielson finished last. Mm -hmm. So, Tom Wheelander, I think, is a player the Canucks have been zeroing in on for some time. Uh, I would not be surprised if he ranked higher on Vancouver's list than on just about anybody else's list. We know they coveted defensemen. We know they coveted right-shot defensemen, Blake. David Reinbacker winds up going fifth overall to the Montreal Canadiens. So as just about everybody thought, the helium that some of these defensemen had late in the draft process, because it wasn't too long ago where we were looking at this defense crop and going, might this be the lowest a defenseman has ever been selected in the NHL draft? So many great forwards amongst this 2023 group. And we thought defensemen, might slide down the first round. Well, anything but, my man. You had Reinbacker go fifth overall to Montreal. They passed on Matvey Michkov, the talented young Russian winger. And then the stunner, Dmitry Simashev, sixth overall to Arizona. You wondered if he was the wild card that the Canucks were sort of downplaying the interest in. Quite possible. We knew they liked Danielson. The center, he went ninth overall to Detroit. 
And I think a lot of people were surprised by that. And of course, Leo Carlson, second overall ahead of Adam Fantilli. So it wound up being a first round of some real surprises, perhaps outside of the Vancouver Canucks, who I think everybody thought, uh, even if Simashev is still there, probably a fair chance at Wheelander. I think a lot of people were hoping that Danielson went exactly where he went because uh, not a lot of high ceiling there for Danielson, although the same could be said for Wheelander, but as a defenseman, you're a little bit more okay with that. Is there a right shot defenseman that's only got a medium-high uh, ceiling? That's still worth more than a medium-ceiling centerman, I think. And so I, I think I, I get the Canucks from that angle. I think you could have talked yourself out of Tom Wheelander a little bit because his name came up so early and was so favored. Remember when we first learned of that dinner, all we could hear about from every single person in the know was, oh, I'm, I'm hearing on the inside Tom Wheelander's at the top of their list. But the more you hear about that, and for as long as you hear, sometimes it can get stale at the top of the list. And sometimes, and this is just human nature, you talk yourself out of a player because you've been staring at him at the top of your list for so long. I had sort of thought that that's what happened, that maybe Wheelander was just there too early for the Vancouver Canucks and that somebody with late helium was going to overtake him. And maybe he ultimately was overtaken by Simushev or or somebody else, but those players were gone. Mm -hmm. And so ultimately it's the comfort blanket, the comfy Mm -hmm. blanket of Wheelander who they clearly liked. And uh, I'm not going to say it's a sure thing, not a single player chosen. Yes, not even Bedard because everybody needs health here. Nobody is is a sure thing. But I think you got pretty good odds on Wheelander that he's a National Hockey League player. Mm. We'll see to what extent, but I think there's some pretty good odds there that he's an NHL player. Tom Wheelander ranked amongst the top five neutral zone defenders as elite prospects saw it and graded it. He also ranked amongst the top five best shutdown defensemen, according to the folks at Elite Prospects. And that, of course, includes our buddy Cam Robinson, their director of film scouting, who will join us later in the program. And looky here, looky here, and this is late word, Cam Robinson reporting they had opportunities the Canucks did to move back and gain a second-round pick in the process. They ultimately decided they couldn't do it and risk out losing Wheelander. Cam, uh, full disclosure, we've already recorded his interview. We will talk more about this second-round business with Cam tomorrow when he joins us for rounds two through seven of the NHL entry draft, but there was a conversation between Patrick Alvine and Buffalo Sabres general manager, Kevin Adams, after Nate Danielson was taken by the Red Wings at ninth overall. I mean, looking at it, I think a lot of people thought, huh, this is Vancouver going, we can still get Wheelander at 13. Buffalo covered Zach Benson, the Langley winger from the Winnipeg ice. Maybe we can get them to give something up to move up and secure their guy at 11. But according to Cam Robinson, it may have been the other way around, which for me, Blake, would be opportunity lost. If that was the case, I think I would have been comfortable, even if you lose out on Wheelander, I think I would have been comfortable with a number of players to move down and get a second round pick. It's known as a very deep draft. Canucks, no second rounder this year, no second rounder next year. That said, they have third-round picks. Who knows? Maybe there's an opportunity to move up and into the second round tomorrow. Yes, you never know. Um, you know, Maybe there's some wheeling and dealing, too. Maybe one of the wingers is shaking free for the Canucks to become a second-round pick. Um, we'll have to see how it all plays out. Mm-hmm.
Uh, this pick will always be star-crossed with Zach Benson. Yep. Well, I think and and Sandine Pelica. Yep. Who winds up going 17th overall to the Detroit Red Wings? That was the pick the Canucks owned. Yeah. Via the New York Islanders in the Bo Horvat trade, and of course sent along to the Red Wings as part of the Philip Ronick trade. So even if Ronick is just good, maybe he's not spectacular, mm-hmm. but Ronick is just good. But Sandine Pelica is amazing. There's going to be some regret there. And if Benson is anything close to very good or amazing, there may be some regret there as well. It's the, uh, it's the hindsight that we'll only get with time. But, uh, yeah, those are the two picks that I think people will be keying in on in, in the future. Would you guys include Oliver Moore in that? or is, Just because he was available, you mean? Yeah, I know he wasn't necessarily linked to the Canucks, but value-wise, well, center. I mean, I like the player. Well, there's but. a lot of people there who would say value-wise, yes. Perhaps the draft's best skater. Grady, there is some question about his ability to play center ice. So if the Vancouver Canucks felt like Moore doesn't figure as an NHL centerman, then I completely understand it. Otherwise, then yeah, the you know the those are some of the just tough decisions that the you know you have to make at the draft. I think Moore falls under the same categories everybody chosen mm-hmm. after uh, Tom Wheelander. And they, hey, everybody else was available. Mm-hmm. Who did you end up going with? He Wheelander, that is, was amongst the fastest risers in this draft. If you go back not long ago, say around Christmas time. I don't think you would have seen Wheelander's name in the first round a whole lot. He had a very good second half. He had an exceptionally strong U18s. There's a little bit of debate about the skating. Some will say it's high-end skating. Others will say it's simply above-average skating. But either way, he's a pretty good skater. There's some quickness to him. He says he models his game after Miro Haskinen and Blake Price. He's a lifelong Vancouver Canucks fan. Another lifelong Vancouver Canucks fan. Elias Pettersson spotted as a mm-hmm. child war- wearing a Vancouver t-shirt and now a lifelong Vancouver Canucks fan in Tom Vlander joins them as well. Let's hear from him. I think it's just been, you know, being called out there and just, you know, being drafted. Um, this is something I've worked on, uh, you know, working towards for, for my whole life. Um, you know, I feel like this marks, uh, you know, a, a new chapter in my life. Um, so I'm just super happy and excited to get started. Those are pretty good Swedish players in Vancouver. Did you follow them when you were a kid? I guess so, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. Um, you know, Vancouver was actually my first my first ever team that uh, I started cheering for. I'd say mainly because of uh, the, the Sedins, obviously, being probably the, mo- the most dominant pair of players ever. Um, but I guess also I thought the logo was cool. <laughs> so I got a bit nostalgic seeing it up on the stage. Um, so it's a lot of fun. So you're an Orca logo guy, not a flying skate logo guy? Huh? Are you the Orca logo as opposed to the yeah. flying skate one? Yeah, yeah. For sure. For sure. 100%. 100%. <laughs> He's going to be... Well, kid, you're going to meet Daniel and Hank pretty soon if you haven't already. Well, development so. camp coming uh, right. as well. But uh, he might be a little bit disappointed, too. Maybe they're leaning towards the skate with these black seats. You never know. Ah, of course. Now, a uh, few things about... Wheelander that are uh, a little um, well different than your average bear. There are not a lot of Swedish hockey prospects who go through the junior ranks over there and then come over here to play amateur hockey. But he's headed to Boston University. 
it's a unusual path, but take a listen to his answer here and the way he explains why he has chosen this path. Tom, can you talk to us about your decision to go uh, the NCAA route over heading to the SHL? All uh, right. Um, I'd say just for me personally, I think it's a better fit. Um, I feel like I have a lot of development left to do, um, you know, uh, getting a bit heavier. Um, but also, you know, skills-wise, um, I feel like I have a bit to go. Um, and just, you know, uh, the NCAA being, uh, teams being a bit more um, towards the development side, uh, contrary to the, to the SHL teams, uh, I feel like that was a good route for me. So. And three things here. Uh, and first of all, what a uh, what a speaker! Well, but just what uh, remarkable self awareness and understanding for such a young man, yep. particularly when you're that special in a sport, to be able to have the sort of composure to say, "Look, I got to work on my strength." Mm-hmm. NCAA players are going to spend a lot more time in the gym than guys who are playing more regularly. The offensive skills are not quite there yet. You go play in the Swedish Elite League, Swedish Hockey League. You're not going to get the opportunity as an 18, 19 year old not playing power play. to play power play, no. play with the offensive players, get those sorts of reads going on what offensive forwards want, where they want the puck, how to read off, jump into the rush, and all those things. And then, thirdly, one of the big concerns for scouts, general managers, when you take a European defenseman and particularly a Swedish defenseman. Early on, there's not a whole lot of forechecking in that league. The forechecking that is in that league is relatively passive. You don't have the Tom Wilsons of the world bearing down, looking to put you into row C behind the glass. And that's something that you're going to get a little bit more in the NC2As. Yeah, you'll get a pugnacious junior A player that's come down and is uh, going to play his game. Because he's only on a partial scholarship, and such, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I, I'm blown away how this kid speaks. Uh, you're right, just the self-awareness is great. Uh, make no mistake about it, folks, because he's going to school. This is not a CHL player. He's been in Sweden this whole time. The near-flawless English comes from just his own uh, his own education. I mean, it's... Uh, let's hope he becomes a mouthpiece for the Vancouver Canucks going forward. Let me read a couple of quotes from anonymous scouts in the Elite Prospects draft guide. Pretty boring player for me, in a good way. Consistent, good things happen when he's on the ice. That's from a Western Conference scout. And then another one says, a right shot D with great skating and some size can play on both sides sides of the puck. I've seen uh, some people... uh, suggest that there is some physicality in his game. Mm-hmm. I've seen others say he's not physical, but he battles. Yes. And again, I think that may also be a function of the level and the league and the country where he's playing Yeah, right now. That it is not... Not a lot of open ice hits it, to be it had, It is period. not as physical a game. No. One thing else that we can tell you about Tom Wielander, he's no Lionel Richie. Easy on Sunday morning, not his jam. Ah, Take a listen. Why do you skate Sunday mornings? Why do you book extra time on Sunday? I just feel like I just feel like this is especially something I do um, when when it's like two days rest. I just feel like um, you know I, I just really want to to practice a lot. Uh, I, I love practicing, um, and I feel like um, I just want to practice um, at the you know best of my ability and just you know at the line of you know not being injured. But I feel like I I have a lot to gain from training, so so I love. It. Is that is that just for mental focus or for 
Um, like, what is it about? What is it about the extra day? That you um, I just feel like I just feel like um, the hours add up. You know, I, I feel like that's that's kind of where you usually don't see um, those results in the beginning. Uh, that's kind of where I felt like I, I got the results, you know, a bit later in the year. Um, but uh, you know, hours add up. But also, it's a it's a point of just you know proving to yourself that you have the discipline to do what it takes. Sounds I mean, like he, he sounds like he subscribes to the ten thousand repetitions makes you a, well, an expert in something. I was going to say, Blake. Oftentimes, these kids are pretty well trained up by the agent on what to say. But what incredible! maturity there not pre-prepared I want to test my discipline on sunday mornings yeah. i love practicing especially if i have a couple of days off i got to get back out there and you know athletes say this all the time you know i'm doing 10 extra reps in the gym when everyone else has gone home sunday morning skates and he'll get how up. many 18 year olds are getting up to bust their butt on what is likely an off day for a lot of them he'll get a lot of sunday. that time in the ncaa there's a lot of off days Absolutely. where they oh, can yeah. train yeah. and refine their yeah, games. Yeah, two to three games a week tops, and yeah. um, the rest of it's in the in the weight room and studying and all that. I, I love this NCAA factor here because he's going to learn to process the game. It's it's quicker. He if you stayed in Europe, there's more chance he can you know kind of build out bad habits. Um, mm-hmm. the, the bigger ice, they kind of roam and and get away with that rover where. The smaller yep. ice, they can't do that, right? They can't jump up. Uh, they got to close gaps better. So yeah, I think this is this is a really well, good and positive. especially Grady because he's going to get some op- offensive opportunity there. At least we think. Whereas with the Swedish national team, his good friend Axel Sandin Pelika is the power play quarterback, is the rover, is the defenseman who is asked to produce points, and he is sort of deferred to his friend. And accepted that role as more of the stay-at-home guy, uh, more of the cautious defender. So a lot to like about this pick from the Vancouver Canucks at number 11. Uh, There are critics, no doubt. And if you want to say that top half of the first round, you swing for upside, there is certainly a fair critique to be made there. If you want to say they gave up on a kid who could be the next Braden Point in Zach Benson, a local product, nevertheless, uh, beyond that, fair enough. We'll see in time whether or not this is the correct pick. We'll let you hear from Alvin tomorrow. But yes. um, he said after the draft, I could see him being a perfect fit for Quinn Hughes. Yep. So he he went down that road of, you know, salt and pepper here, thunder and lightning. It's just a, a good puzzle piece fit. And, and I can see where he's coming from in that regard. And I think the Vancouver Canucks aimed this offseason to find that partner. For Quinn Hughes. They may still be finding that partner for Quinn Hughes next season in trades or free agency, but I think they feel like they have found that partner long term for Quinn Hughes. A few other things here about the draft. And of course, Blake and I have covered many of them and are keen observers of everything that is set up there. First of all, nice addition of that catwalk. Have the players walk. I think it's fabulous. I mean, before you lose them in the crowd on the floor, uh, you know, like now it's much better television. Way better television. Much better television. Just seamlessly. It's big league. Like that Mm -hmm. that looks like an NBA level, NFL level stage. It looks really good. Arizona Coyotes in the matching suits. Horrific. Still don't like it. And Mishkoff wore a similar color suit. I do wonder whether Mishkoff thought he was going to Arizona and dressed accordingly. Connor Bedard, the first ever pick, uh, sorry, the first overall pick of the Chicago Blackhawks. And Blake, maybe the best British Columbia born hockey player, trained hockey player ever. 
right? We'll find out. Like the, obviously, tons of great players from this province: Joe Sackick, Scott Niedermeyer, Paul Korea, among them. When it's all said and done, will this kid be number one? Adam Fantilli, not the second overall pick to Anaheim. Can you imagine? Kids planning a life in Orange County, California, and wait a second, Ducks take Leo Carlson, and now you're off to Columbus, Ohio, which is the rival, the Ohio State University of the school you go to in Michigan. But he's, he's going to have there to bunch. purge. He's going to have to purge his entire closet of maize and blue when he finally makes but it. But at least it's, it's it's not unfamiliar territory, no, no. and climate-wise, at least he does know what to expect. Well, and blue ja- I got a Blue Jacket fan who's all over me about it saying, no, this is exactly where he wanted to go. Michkov at seven as possibly the second generational player out of this draft. He's that creative offensively. Philly, Philly gets him at seven after San Jose, Montreal, and Arizona all pass in succession. Uh, Samuel Hansik. Vancouver Giants forward goes 16th overall, which is where I saw him pegged. Like he's sort of he he hit it right down the uh, the middle there. It was exactly where we we're supposed to go. I think. And you've got uh, a ton of and and we have talked about this, Blake, and we'll talk about it some more going into next June with Macklin Celebrini, Vancouver's Macklin Celebrini, likely to be the first overall, but a ton of BC content here in this first round. Matthew Wood, the Connecticut forward, goes to Nashville. At 15th overall, we mentioned Benson and Bedard. McBride BCs. Tanner Molendyke gets into the first round with Nashville at 24th overall. So uh, a very, very good draft for BC writ large. Beautiful touch by Adam Fantilli, putting the names of everybody who helped get him there on his vest as he walked up to the podium. I think you're going to see more of that going forward. I think that'll be trend-setting. Although, uh, too bad, you, you do still cover up. the. I thought the vest was a great idea, but you do get to, you have to cover it up with the jersey, unfortunately, when you put the jersey Fair enough. Yeah. And uh, I'll say this. I love the draft hats they're wearing. Those are good hats. Oh, really? Oh, you, take, you haven't noticed I them? I didn't notice them, no. You know, with the black and the logo in no, the middle? I didn't oh. really notice Grady, them. a penny for you? No? No. Didn't notice No, them. you don't like them either. Um, I will say this. The symmetry is, is kind of interesting. 2003... They were also in Nashville, Tennessee. Maybe the best draft of all time. And mm-hmm. it's a good lesson as we all have knee-jerk reactions to this draft, which was supposed to be a deep one. And mm-hmm. only time will tell there. But back to 2003, only two of the then 30 teams got players, or didn't get players, yes. to play 100 games. Only three players didn't get to 200 games. So 27 of the 30 players chosen played at least 200 games in the National Hockey League, which is absolutely stunning. So, I mean, there there are the outliers, Hugh Jessamine, a.k.a. Huge specimen. Yes. Why he was drafted where he was drafted by the Rangers turned out to be one of the two busts in that round. Who are the other two? Do you remember? (sighs) Not to get to 200. The one was 30th, so granted it was the 30th pick. I would have known at one point. Sean Bell. God, don't even remember that name. And World the, Junior Legend. And the third player 
you know, was around. He got 57 career points in 192 games, which doesn't actually sound that bad. You'll recognize the name. It was the other Pouliot that we, we knew. Mark Antoine Pouliot. Ah, yes. Oh, Oilers. Yes. Yeah. Um, yes. But, I mean, so as we look at Tom Wielander and think, oh, well, you know, that should be a high-end player, yada, yada, yada. I mean, Braden Coburn went eighth overall that year. Braden Coburn's never been, uh, you know, a top, top player in the NHL. He's uh, got 983 games under yeah. his belt. You know, like, if... That's a good run. That's a good run. You 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 want better at eighth overall, but that's a good run for a player. Um, we'll see what the, what comparable Tom Wheelander is to that 2003 draft. Just quickly, guys. Uh, Patrick Alvin just met with the media down in Nashville. He said uh, Wheelander was the best player available to them when they selected. They always say yes. that. Yeah. You interrupted us to tell us that. Come on. They always say. Hey, is this your first? It draft? just came in. Oh wait a second. It is. <laughs> No, I was there 2019 on the draft floor. Oh, okay. I, I didn't mean to be smirched. I don't remember seeing you there in Vancouver. Weird. Hmm. We were on the riser. Oh, you weren't allowed on the main floor, I see. Oh, no. Well, listen to this. Yeah. <laughs> Getting lippy here. <laughs> exactly. Well, Blake, the draft, not the only news for the Vancouver Canucks over the last 24, 36 hours. Mm-hmm. We have a schedule released for this upcoming season. And some notes on it. And by the way, follow Jeff Patterson on Twitter for everything about this schedule. He is diving deep, digging deep, including. He had a whole uh, tweet oh, thread and articles. Did he ever? And then he would go back and he'd find more little <laughs> He was tidbits. finding more this morning. He like went with a you know, magnifying glass over every single game. I love the times. tweet this morning. Digging a little deeper, they play X number of the top power plays in the league in the first month of the that season. That was the tweet? Jeff I missed had that, one. that tweet. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. You know, Jeff, he is going to parse that schedule like nobody's business. Yeah. You don't want to listen to Rinkwide here. Blake, 13 of the first 22 on the road. Don't get buried in October for a third straight year, right? Yeah. It, it's all, uh, in the including, two Eastern, in, including two Eastern trips in those first 22. So the first quarter of the schedule is unrelenting and... You know, Blake, we're a long ways from Gillis and Gilman flying to the NHL head office in New York and browbeating the schedule maker to make it as advantageous as possible for the Vancouver Canucks. This is three years in a row where they have accepted a disproportionate number of away games in the early going, knowing full well that the last two years, their seasons have basically been scuttled by Remembrance Day because of tough trips in the early going, and let's face it, not a very good team as well. How about a nine-game homestand in March? First of all, I'm not even sure I've ever heard of a nine-game homestand. If if but they're in a playoff position. have to be meaningful, right? If, if they're in a playoff position, Matt, on March the 7th, and then you get nine straight games at home, I'm not sure there's a reasonable argument to be made that you missed the playoffs. Fair, but... You've played X number of road games to that point, and these better be meaning you better be in touch with the playoff pack going into that nine game stretch. Otherwise, we'll be mo- be we'll be bemoaning the death march again, mm-hmm. and good luck to season ticket holders trying to give those suckers away. Well, fe- January, February, it, uh, December's a pretty home heavy month too. January and February are also very road heavy. 
I hate that zigzag road trip in February. Carolina, Boston, Detroit, then go back to the eastern seaboard in Washington before hitting Chicago on your way back. Awkward. Yeah. You're not jumping time zones there, which would be the bigger crime or the bigger worry. Still don't love that. Road road and games beat the home games in January 7 to 6. Eight to five road games beat the home games in February as well. So you can do the math there. That's uh, what, uh, 715 to 11 mm-hmm. in favor of the road games to, to start the calendar year yeah. and then they get home. Well, and as David at David underscore Diggs on Twitter pointed out to me last night, 10,445 kilometers on that first road trip. Yeah. In late February, February 22nd on, I'm just looking at it here. They don't leave the Pacific time zone mm-hmm. nope, uh, no. until they don't. Arizona well, it, on April 3rd? No. Is Arizona Pacific or Mountain? By, by, that, point, by that yeah. point, I, I don't know. I always yeah. get confused. Yeah. Then it's Saskatchewan. No, but it's, it's fascinating because then they're in L.A., at home to Vegas, Arizona, at Edmonton. At home again, mm-hmm. Calgary, wrap up the season in Winnipeg on April 18th. So, like, they're yep. going to be in – their body clocks are going to be not yeah, adjusted. Yeah. That could be a huge factor to this. Um, I was disappointed to see this because I have enjoyed the Friday night Canucks games and the Friday night Canucks crowds at Rogers Arena. They tend to have a little more pep in their giddy-up. More than a Saturday night game? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I think you get more of a party atmosphere. I think on Saturday nights you get a lot of season ticket holders for for whom going to a game is regular fare. One, Even with Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday nights? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure Hockey Night in Canada sort of ups the <laughs> No, but, created but a, Saturday night hockey, especially if the Oilers, McDay, like they usually have marquee teams. Like you're not seeing, you know, Nashville Fridays on over the night. last uh, few years. There's also been some marquee games there. December, to- January, and February, one Sunday game. So there's one Friday home game all season. Yeah. There's 12 Saturdays. I would say Saturday night, but we don't yet have a start time for the Leafs on the first <laughs> on the 20th of January. <laughs> yeah. Here's the other thing. 27 Wednesdays in the NHL schedule, the Canucks play just 7 of them. And that's a national that's been become a national signpost mm-hmm. game as well, right? Wednesday night hockey I think has become a that's the secondary big national night, even though there are uh, there's a Monday night as well. But I think so- Wednesday is the other big night for hockey, I think. And, and they might not be taking part much. And uh, they finally did it. We talked about this last year. October 24th, a 16-game night in the NHL. Everybody plays with staggered start times. The Canucks are in Nashville that evening. So it will be a 6 Is that weird, though, that they're doing it Pacific. on a weekday? I guess a little bit, but there's they, look. There's a lot that goes into this schedule. So if they weren't able to make it happen on a Saturday, I get it. Even a Sunday, though, do it at like like past the end of the Super Bowl. Do do February 11th, and and have mm-hmm. have it staggered over. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, at least they're doing it, Blake. Yeah, that's true. That's it's every 15 minutes the games too. So they could start it actually early in the morning and have a bit more gap. Have more. Time. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And then load up on your say your four o'clock, your seven o'clock. So. Yeah. A few other tidbits here. Patrick Johnson, our Tuesday contributor from the province and post media, saying the Canucks, he will not be shocked to see the Canucks sign a very tall defenseman. Yes. Is that Carson Soucy? Well, Carson Soucy is quite tall, is my understanding, and he's been connected 
to the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, I think size. I, I, I think this head coach is is still a believer in size. So don't be at, at all surprised. Ryan Graves is a bigger guy. Now he's further up the pecking order, I think, uh, of the unrestricted free agents from Carson Soucy. Uh, Scott Mayfield's sizable defenseman. Radko Gudash, big boy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Anyways, uh, keep your eye on size and bigger players. I suspect you'll see some in this Vancouver Canucks offseason. The Rick Dollywell reporting they have interest in Miles Wood, the New Jersey forward who is uh, seeking a new team. And uh, our old buddy Tyler Toffoli is on the move, Blake, to New Jersey. That was an interesting trade last night because the uh, player going back to Calgary is a good player and they get a pick out of it. And as Cam Sharon put it, of the athletic, the Toffoli trade and the Meyer extension is a luxury you get when you sign Jack Hughes to a long-term deal before he breaks out, not after. Once you know your stars will be stars, pay them. Don't wait. And look. They're Pierre stacked. Luke, if oh Pierre-Luke Dubois is getting $8.5 million here, Elias Pettersson and what he can command, the price is only ticking up, I'm afraid. Mm-hmm. Let's get to today's golf report brought to you by the Arnold Palmer designed at Whistler Golf Club. And we've been telling you about the great buddy and client trips, but check out all the amenities up there at the Whistler Golf Club and Whistler. They're home to the Nike Pro Shop featuring exclusive footwear and apparel worn by Tiger, Rory, Brooks, Scotty, Nelly, and more. And Palmer's Gallery Bar and Grill featuring one of Whistler's top 10 patios. For more information to book at tea time, whistlergolf.com. Uh, very quickly here. Congratulations to Riley Kinchella. Riley is the winner of the greens fee for four two carts up at the Whistler Golf Club for this summer, an $800 value. Congratulations, Riley. I sent him a DM earlier today, Blake, and noted that he had won a Memo 2 contest in 2018. (laughs) So I said, congratulations, you're back on the board with Sakaris and Price. He went, eh, I've also won a Sakaris and Price hat before. So well done, Riley. Enjoy it. Fairways and Greens. As for uh, the Travelers Championship that just ended this week on the PGA Tour is the final elevated event. Did a $2.44 million for CBS. It's down 5% from last year. Of the 10 designated events, Blake, seven of them, seven of them saw year-over-year viewership increase, and that's meaningful because there's not a lot on television these days that does year-over-year yeah. increases with all the cord cutters. The outliers were the Century Tournament of Champions in Hawaii at the beginning of the year, the Wells Fargo down in Charlotte, and the Travelers. And and that stands to reason. Those are three really meh events, not destination courses. Tournament of Champions is a limited field with, you know, theoretically all the best players because they all win. But it's out of season. No, no one's in the golf frame of mind that early in the year. And the telecast is a little later in the yes. day because it comes out of Hawaii. Yeah, so all those, there's mitigating circumstances, I think, for all those. I mean, uh, they're, they're already planning course changes at the Travelers because of how terrible it played this, this oh, year. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah just Not you can't surprising. have that winning score. You have an elevated event and have a winning score. Minus, uh, minus 20. 23 yeah. or whatever yeah. it was. No matter what you're buying, folks, when you're out in the world looking for this, that, and the other, I think you want to support businesses that you feel good about supporting. You can feel good about supporting the Applewood Auto Group. Uh, they've made the car business and communities around them a whole lot better with their work in the community. Go and find out why it is indeed all good at Applewood. Visit them online anytime 
at applewood.ca. Let's get to today's menu brought to you by the Dutch, the breakfast, the brunch, the lunch. Get it at the Dutch. We'll join up with Cam Robinson, our NHL and draft insider from Elite Prospects from Nashville. To the people, we'll go. We'll get a little bit of your reaction in here on what the Vancouver Canucks have done. Jeff Patterson will stop by as well with his thoughts after a very interesting day for the Vancouver Canucks. Happy Hour brought to you by Yellow Dog Brewing Neighborhood Brewing Workshop Spirits. And the weather's getting a little cooler, but we're still pretending we're thriving in the summer. That's summer heat with Workshop Spirits. Ombre Margarita. Hi there. Hard lemon iced tea. And hi there. Our peach iced tea will keep you feeling tropical all year long. End of the workday. Treat yourself to a Yellow Dog neighborhood or Workshop Spirit. Let's get into it. I don't know if it was malicious. Probably not. But I do know it was another WTF moment. My question to ownership would be, was it worth it? And the architect, and I use that term loosely, given there wasn't much architecture, more finger painting with this team. It's like the running of the Bulls in Pamplona. You know someone is going to get hurt. That's what you all need to understand here. Right now. Last summer, the Vancouver Canucks were mostly spectators as much-needed right-handed defensemen passed them by in trades and free agency. At least they had a lack of cap space to blame. This summer, there's no such excuse, and that matters as already a number of third-line center candidates have come and gone. General Manager Patrick Alvin identified third-line center as the club's biggest need at an end-of-season press conference. A top-four defenseman may well have surpassed center after the buyout of Oliver ekman Larson, but it remains a glaring hole still. So it couldn't have been easy to watch Port Moody's Ryan Johansson, Ross Colton, Alex Newhook, the former BCHLer, Kevin Hayes, Gabe Velarde, Rasmus Kupari, all get traded in the first week of the offseason. Add the centers or hybrid forwards who have already re-signed prior to the start of free agency Saturday, Ivan Barbashev, and we knew there was Canucks interest there. Jordan Stahl, Eric Halla, David Camp, even Sean Monahan. The pickings are already getting slim. The Canucks are not out of cards here, but if their intent is to improve the club for next season, enough to make the playoffs, then another center, and preferably a righty, is needed. Colorado Avalanche center JT Coffer, if not Evan Rodriguez as well, should be available in free agency Canada Day. Same goes for Nick Bukestad, Teddy Bluger, and hybrid Max Domi. Trade market still has Philadelphia Scott Lawton, Calgary's Michael Backlund, Anaheim's Adam Henrique, and Barkley Goodrow of the New York Rangers. But not all of these players are desirable from an age or contract perspective. The difficulty in securing the right player at this position has already been proven just days into the NHL offseason. Now imagine how hard it'd be without an OEL buyout. That's welcome at for today. We invite your feedback. Feedback channels as follows on email, live at secarisonprice.com. You can text 778-402-9680. It's the Great Clips text message inbox. Great Clips, your local Great Clips, proudly Canadian-owned and operated. On Twitter, I'm at Sakaris at Sakarison Price, and can't wait to get to Northlands Golf Course Friday, Metro Vancouver's premier public golf course. You can book your tee times 90 days in advance, don't forget to join the loyalty program, and on a gorgeous day like today, hit up that patio overlooking the proceedings. All the details 
at golfnorthlands.com. Sick Harrison Price from Wall Center. Today's Bodog poll question. Would Tom Willander have been your choice with the 11th overall pick? Yes, no, or you can say, hey, I'm unsure. Just want to check in on the results. Do so at Sick Harrison Price on Twitter. Bodog, your source, free casino games, poker strategy, sports odds. Whitecaps in Kansas City Saturday shooting for two straight on the road. That's a big ask with this group. I'm going to take the draw at plus 285. On your Bodog line of the day. Here he is from Elite Prospects, the director of film scouting, our NHL draft insider from Nashville, Mr. Cam Robinson. What do you think of Tom Willander at number 11? Boys, you know, I'm not too mad about it. Obviously, my preference would have been Zach Benson. He was five on my board, best player available. I didn't believe that they would take him there, especially if Vlander was there. And we knew as the picks played out the way they were that either Dalbor Dvorsky or Tom Vlander, we're going to be there ahead of Zach Benson. So uh, they got their right shot defenseman. I'm quite a bit higher on Vlander than a lot of a lot of publications. Um, but you know, I've been chatting with scouts all week. A lot of teams liked him a lot too, for the same reasons I do. The kid has a lot of mobility. The second half of his year, he really stepped up, started to show his offense. He kind of got out of the shadow of Axel Sandin, Palika on that national team. Had a great World uh, Junior Under 19 tournament when Palika wasn't there. Played like 40 minutes in one of the games. And that really kick-started his second half. I think he's going to be a really good asset for Vancouver, a player that they are desperately in need of, uh, a position and a yeah. style, and I think I think it's a good pick. Give us the scouting report, Cam, for those who might have missed your hits on this or are just catching up with this name. What does he do well? What does he need to work on? And how far away do you think he is from playing in the NHL? So he he didn't get uh, he didn't really get a look in the SHL this season. He did get dressed for three games, but really no time. So you know he's a junior age player. He's a junior player at this time. But the strength is the skating, um, without a doubt. He is a very very good skater. Um, he he can project to be one of the you know better skaters on the team when he develops. Um, so the mobility, the way he can transition the puck with his feet, I like his first pass. I really like his aggressiveness defensively as well he's you know about six foot one and only plays i think under 180 uh, so he's going to put need to put some meat on his bones to continue to play the way he does but he hits he hits hard he knows how to time his checks open ice in the corners he clears the front of the net well and uh, with a little nasty edge to it too he's not afraid to use the lumber um i think that he's uh, going to be a couple years out anyways um very likely that he you know he'll play at least one year at school here probably two and then come out, and then we'll see. Um, so, yeah, it's it's not a plug-and-play asset, that's for sure. Is is there a chance that he can find more offense in his game? Even if, uh, you know, the Canucks probably would be A-OK with him maintaining a sort of a 50-50 split of responsibility, but does he have the chance to improve on, on that end, do you think? Absolutely, he does. I, I, I think that his, his offensive game has been undervalued by a lot of people in the public world um, just because he has good instincts and he has those feet, and I think that he kind of deferred to Axel Sandin Palika on the international stage a lot and let him kind of run wild. Um, and, and he was the guy staying back. And and you saw it in the junior leagues uh, when he was away from them is that that started to go away, that he started to really step up his offense, especially in the second half of the season, like I said. The really interesting thing here, too, is that, you know, he's going to school, and not a lot of kids come out of the J20 and then go to the NCAA. So he And he said, basically, he's like, I don't think the SHL is a really good developmental league for a player like me or, or maybe young kids in general. So, you know, he's going the college route. I like that. He'll have more time in the gym. 
uh, you know, they don't they don't play as many games. So have an opportunity to bulk up, you know, get uh, get some studying under his belt as well. And uh, and then I think that he'll be able to come out of school. And yes, I do think he could be a player that could generate some offense at the NHL. The, the one word I saw was elusive. Are we talking uh, the same sort of edge work as Quinn Hughes or in, in the same window at the very least? Yeah, not many people are Quinn Hughes' level, but no. he, he is he is elusive. He makes players miss. Um, so if I can get the internet to work <laughs> in Nashville, maybe I'll, maybe I'll put out a bunch of clips of his game because, you know, when he comes out with the puck uh, and he's got some speed behind him, yeah, he makes guys miss with some head fakes. Um, he's got a decent set of hands on him, too. He can, he can break uh, pressure on retrievals on the forecheck, too, when people are forechecking heavy on him. So, yes, he's an elusive player with the puck um, and going to retrieve the puck. Give me the best case scenario and the worst case scenario on this player. What's his ceiling? What's his floor as you see it? Uh, to be completely honest with you, his ceiling is a first pairing defenseman, um, and and I don't think that that is the most likely outcome, but it could end up being that type of player because he he has really good two way instincts already, and then just the mobility on the right side, especially for a team like Vancouver. Now, would he be a perfect fit for Quinn Hughes as a partner down the road? I don't know. We'll see if he develops the, the strength defensively to really get to that level to kind of match up what Quinn does. Um, so you know, probably. A second pair guy is is more realistic, and then obviously the worst case is the development falls at the bottom, and he ends up being a depth player for you. But I don't foresee that happening. I didn't foresee that happening with Olivia Levy either. But injuries can play a big role in these types of things. So hopefully he stays healthy, develops properly, and they get themselves a good player. You mentioned he's going to Boston University and taking the rare route of the Swedish player to go through the junior ranks there and then go play NCAA hockey. One of the things that Blake and I were discussing is, you know, it's a pretty big adjustment for a Swedish defenseman in North American hockey. That forecheck is on you and it's vicious compared to what it is in European hockey with the European size ranks. I mean, great development here for the Canucks that he's going to do that learning in the NC2As with Boston as opposed to in the HL or in Playing the Playing 21-year-olds, 22-year-olds. Yeah, exactly. You know? yeah, 100% boys. And and like I said, it's it's a really unique path, and especially that he spoke out about it, that he doesn't think the SHL is a really good developmental league, um, and the NCAA is. Um, so you're absolutely right. He's going to get his feet wet in North America here uh, before he needs to turn pro, uh, which is going to be excellent for his development because he will be playing against bigger, stronger, older players, but he's not going to be playing against men in the SHL and seeing eight minutes a night. He's going to step in as a freshman, and he'll have to work his way up a little bit, but he's going to get a lot of opportunities in a hurry, too, and, and it's only going to benefit him long-term. And no grinders in the AHL or anything like that, like 30-year-old. I don't think you need well, to. He may encounter them just, yeah, uh, eventually, but, yeah. yes. Yeah, but not, not as, the, as the next step, so, uh, so that makes a lot of sense. How much anxiety might you have, uh, might Canucks fans have, watching the players that are picked right after uh, this pick here, watching Zach Benson's uh, offensive totals rack up, you know, do you, are, are you are you anxious in advance, or do you think this is going to take a, a long while to really determine a winner here at the 11th spot? Well, I, I think that I can I can feel pretty confident in saying that the Buffalo Sabers are a big winner here at pick 13, uh, grabbing Zach Benson like that is. Their prospect pool is so deep and talented right now, and then to add a player like Benson is just pretty ridiculous. With big so, yeah, forwards I, already, right? Like they got the Tate Chompsons exactly. of the world, that big bruising mm-hmm. forwards. To have a little water bug now is perfect. Oh, they're they're set up for a yeah. very very bright yeah. future, and yeah. So I think that there is a world where Vancouver is going to regret passing on him, but. I think Detroit did them a favor by taking Nate Danielson because I think that that one could have really ended up hurting them long term. Well, that was my next question, Cam. Uh, the cameras picked up Patrick Alvin going over to talk to Kevin Adams of the Buffalo Sabres, who, as you just mentioned, owned the 13th overall pick. Simis Shev at 6th Arizona. 
Danielson at nine to Detroit. Do you think there were some broken hearts at that Canucks draft table? Were there were those two guys their guys at eleven, and Wielander was the fallback plan? I had heard all week here that it was going to be Vlander or Danielson for them, unless Dalbor Dvorsky slipped, and he almost he almost did. Yeah, he, he almost slipped, and then I think I think without question he would have been the pick there at ten. Um, but you know, I, I, I can't stand here and tell you that if Simashev was on the board and they were coming up that they wouldn't have taken Vlander ahead of him. Yeah. Um, because I, I think that, I think that they might've done that anyways. I hadn't heard a lot of smoke that they were, they're really all that high on, uh, on Simashev, even though mm-hmm. they should have been. Cause I really like that pick for Arizona too. Cam, we know you got some work to do. We'll let you get at it. You'll be joining us again on tomorrow's pod. Thank you. Th- thank you for this, my friend. And we'll catch up tomorrow. All right. Take care. Boys. Thanks. Cam Robinson of elite prospects are. NHL Draft Insider from Nashville. Oh, to the people. To the people. Let's let's go to those people, shall we? Have to go to the people. I missed the people there. Been a long, frustrating time for people here. To the people we go. And to the people we go, brought to you by our man of the people, Jason Hominek of Jason.Mortgage. But here's the thing. Jason doesn't just do residential mortgages. He does commercial, too. If you're a business owner looking to buy your building, builder, developer, looking for options beyond your bank, get Jason's expert opinion. You can find him at jason.mortgage. Well, Blake, uh, we put out a couple of posts on Twitter in the immediate aftermath of the selection of Tom Wielander. And I'll look. A lot of the commentary is the we same. Sense a, so we sense a theme, yes. Yeah. Uh, so let's get to it. Colton, you could have gotten the best player available in Zach Benson, Oliver Moore, or Gabe Perot. Easily could have moved down a couple of picks and got a second or third rounder. Also, still get Wheelander. Since he's Swedish, kind of surprised they didn't trade up to take him. Patrick Alvin had a conversation with Kevin Adams, the Buffalo Sabres general manager, after Nate Danielson was selected by the Detroit Red Wings. I suspect that Alvin knew Arizona wasn't going to take Wheelander at 12. Buffalo covets Benson. So maybe if we posture like we might take Benson, they'll give us a second round pick or something to move up two spots. Clearly that deal wasn't there. And so the Canucks went with their guy, Wheelander, as opposed to who many believed were the was the best player available in Zach Benson, uh, the Langley kid. Daryl says Benson also would have taken Sandine Pelica over Wheelander, but understand the better fit organizationally. Matt G says good pick. Team needs young defense prospects, and the kid has a lot of upside. Don't need a log jam at forward. Douglas, definitely like the pick, right side is so unnourished. Good word, Douglas. Ronick helps, but after him, no prospects for the right-handed D will be invaluable in the future. Some believe in Philip Johansson. Some believe the Jet Wu could have a sort of late-blooming renaissance here. But a lot of what Douglas says is correct. And then there's Tanya. <laughs> yes, Tanya. And we're going to put Tanya in the don't tell me about the labor, show me the baby category. No idea. I don't care much about the draft and don't really pay much attention. Until these guys actually crack an NHL lineup, I'm not interested. I want results, not potential. Unfortunately. Bravo, Tanya. And unfortunately, there's still going to be draft coverage, Tanya. That's <laughs> still the way it goes. 
Uh, Chris Cave is always a critic. Terrible mm. pick. Benson was the only pick to make. Tim Wheeler is Tom. Will not be a top pair caliber defenseman. Zach Benson will be a top line caliber forward. The Canucks blew it like they always do. Seems a little so strong. So I, 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 I think you have a compounding factor here in that many, like elite prospects had Zach Benson ranked number five overall. Blake, the hockey news had Zach Benson rated number eight overall. So when you when you combine all these lofty rankings that he had across many of the public lists with the fact that he's a local kid, and then, of course, he is only behind Connor Bedard in the last 25 years in the Western Hockey League for scoring as a U18. You put all of that together, and yeah, I can understand the hue and cry from Canuck Nation right now, believing that they let a local future offensive superstar slip away. As we said off the top, uh, the, our golden rule is unless it's a spectacular winger, you have to pass him by. Benson might be the spectacular well, that's winger. It. Peter, I was at the draft party when we selected Olu Alevi. I hope our scouts really are right about this selection. I don't think we can afford a miss here. Thanks for showing up to that draft party, Peter. Atlanta on this Insta, or I believe it's Instagram. I'm fine with Wheelander. It's what the team needs. Now if they can offload two wingers and get that third centerman and defenseman, they'll be okay for the coming season. Next year, I don't expect the Canucks to be too much better, but at least in most of the games, they will pick around 14-15 next year. Hopefully they can climb the ladder two years from now with a replacement 2C and a top winner, winger. And, and, and uh, Alana, where's it, Alan? I can't figure it out here. Uh, is right in that, that third-line center hole is still there. And if the Vancouver Canucks do as they anticipate doing this year, improve the club and maybe even make the playoffs, they could very well be picking in the middle of the first round yet again. That's Alan Nicholson on YouTube. Sorry, Alan on, on uh, YouTube. Arntz says, feels like the pick we just had to make. And then there's Marcus and Gibsons who says, deep draft, good pick. Yes, there will be studs taken after him, but Wheelander fills a need in more ways than one. Smart, fast, and toughness. That'll do it for To The People today, but needless to say, we will be listening to and compiling your thoughts on this Vancouver Canucks pick and on this Vancouver Canucks draft throughout the summer. Joined now by our Canucks reporter, Jeff Patterson, one half of the rink I do with Andrew Wadden, and they'll be recording as well this evening. And Jeff, I want to take you back a year ago. We were lamenting. Look, everybody agreed that Jonathan LeCaramacchi was pretty good value where they got him at 15th overall and one of the best, if not the best goal scorer amongst that draft class of prospect. But I can remember that you and I lamented, here's another opportunity that has come and gone without the addition of a right shot defenseman. Jeff, they got a right shot defenseman at number 11 in Tom Wielander. Your yeah, and I think I, well, I think they got the guy that they wanted ultimately. And you know, for years we're going to look and see Zach Benson, the Chilliwack kid, goes two picks after him. So there was that strong link there. But 
Benson's a winger, and it's hard to deny the 98 points that he put up in 60 games, but this organization just bereft of defensive prospects, and they haven't used a first-rounder on a defenseman since Quinn Hughes back in 2018. We know how thin the pipeline is. And it just felt to me that the Canucks were locked on to Tom Willander here. They took him out to dinner at the Combine in Buffalo, and I don't know that that sealed it necessarily, but when that word got out, it just felt like he checked so many boxes. He's been a huge riser in the second half of the season. Well-rounded, smart, polished. Uh, saw the quick interview uh, stage side there. You know, he talked about how he was driven. He wants to be a change maker. Love that. Uh, the Canucks need a lot of those, quite frankly. And so not the least bit surprised that they wound up with a defenseman. But things certainly got interesting the way that the draft uh, you know, shaped up in the first 10, the, the couple of reaches and a couple of surprises, obviously. So they had options, but through it all, I think they had their eyes on their prize, and that was Tom Willander. I mean, everybody always wants offense at the draft, but the truth of the matter is, is the Canucks have their offensive defensemen, at least they hope they have. Um, mm-hmm. There's still, he might be a Quinn Hughes extension away from joining the lineup, um, Tom Willander. Uh, but presuming the Canucks get Hughes extended in time for the two of them to play on the same team, Willander and Hughes. I mean, somebody needs to play on power play too or just be the minute cruncher that doesn't necessarily play on the power play, and that could be Tom Willander. So, you know, do you care that he's not necessarily electric offensively, like in terms of actual counting stats? I don't. I mean, I I know that at the top end, he's been compared to a Charlie McAvoy who, you know, has put up point totals sort of in the high 50s in Boston. Uh, I saw Rasmus Anderson was another name that uh, he had been compared to. Boy, the Canucks would take either of those types of players and plug them into the lineup. They've got Philip Peronik, who's 25. He's going to be manning the right side as well. I mean, it's possible that Tom Lander someday could be the partner for Quinn Hughes. And so you're right. It's more about bringing a well-rounded game, uh, you know, taking care of your business and letting Quinn Hughes and helping Quinn Hughes you know, reach greater heights if that's even possible. Now, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but I like the fact that he's coming over and he's going to play in North America, committed to Boston U, so he's going to get the NCAA experience, North American ice, and maybe a year away, maybe two. We'll see about that. Uh, But no, they didn't need a massive point producer here. They need a guy that can help out in all areas of the game, and that's when I see, you know, the scouting reports that I've read on this player. People like his skating. They really like uh, his decision-making. I saw somebody compare him to a Dan Hughes type of player in as much as he's not going to blow you away. You come, you buy a ticket, he's not going to be the best player on the ice, but he's a guy that absolutely can help uh, in all situations. And certainly Dan Hughes, you know, it wasn't about the flash for him ever. It was just being solid every single night. And so just to drive the comparisons a little closer to home, boy, if the Canucks could replicate what they had in Dan Hamhuis and Tom Willander, I think they'd be pretty happy uh, if he pans out that and way. And Dan, well, Dan I, had a very low floor, too. Like, there weren't any bad nights for Dan no. Hamhuis, and, and you wonder if Wielander will be that kind of guy, well, too. Well, hey, I, I mean, first of all, the Hamhuis comparison is most apropos from a draft floor in Nashville, right? The connection between the uh, Nashville and Vancouver with Dan Hamhuis. Did I say low floor? He has a high floor. High, uh, high floor. floor, yes. High floor. Yes, high like, consistency level. Yes, um, um, secondly, if he turns into Charlie McAvoy, this is an absolute home run. If he turns into Rasmus Anderson, that's a very useful player. Yep. And I will remind everyone, Rasmus Anderson taken with the Canucks second yes, round right. pick. Parted with for Sven Berchi in Calgary after all those years. Blake, I mean, he was under contract till 27. I would suspect this guy plays before then. And if not, maybe you're a little bit worried. And uh, I thought I heard a big cheer from the North Shore. I don't think it was Jeff Patterson. I think it might have been our old friend Dave Tomlinson. If the ah, Canucks are taking a Boston, boy, yes. a Boston, Jeff, they need penalty killers. 
Like, he could be their primary penalty killer coming down the pipe here. Well, they need penalty killers starting in September, and he's not going to be that guy. But yes, they will always need penalty killers, certainly. And so, yeah, I mean, look, Quinn Hughes as the run of the the place. As long as he's here, he is their 25 to 30 minute guy. Uh, we know he runs the power play and they use him on the penalty kill as well, but maybe you offset his penalty kill usage a little bit uh, by the time Tom Willander uh, arrives on the scene. Whatever the case, again, this is a guy that's projected and taken 11th overall. You know, he better be a top four defenseman for this organization. Again, Hughes and Hironic look like they're going to be here for the foreseeable future. So that's why I say uh, he could very well be a partner at some point for Quinn Hughes. Because uh, if he's not, it means he's playing behind Philip Hironic. And I don't think the plan right now is to have Hironic and Hughes play together an awful lot. I think they're going to try to spread whatever... I uh, can't use the word wealth they have on the blue line, but the depth that they have on the back end. So, again, I like this pick. You know, I, I, we always go through the discussion about best player available. I know you guys had that debate. I think this might have been the best player available at the position of greatest need for the Vancouver yes. Canucks. And this year, that's the path they elected to go down. You know, a Swedish general manager, a Swedish scout in Thomas Grenin, who has been delivering Swedes for years for the Vancouver Canucks, decades. Uh, they went to Sweden last year with Lekaramaki, as you mentioned. And so, again, there were just so many things that sort of lined up when you step back and look at what the Canucks might do. Again, they had to wait and see how the dominoes fell, and a few of them did fall in some strange ways in front of them. But through it all, well, Lander was there, and they made that pick when they got to the podium. And we had started seeing from a bunch of our listeners as we were debating best player available or best center or defense available – uh, people writing in with things like, how about MVP available, most valuable player available, understanding the extreme need of this franchise for centermen and for defensemen and understanding the scarcity of right-shot defensemen, which this guy is, and of course, and of course right-handed centermen. Jeff, do you think this selection changes their plans, be it via trade or free agency, to go on out and get that right shot top four defenseman. Could you see them airing more on the left-hand side? Because as you mentioned, this kid's still a couple of years away and they do need a top four immediately. But could you see them flipping over and prioritizing the left side guys after the Wheelander selection? Cheaper, cheaper market. Well, and yeah, once they bought out OEL, absolutely. Uh, that created another gap on the on the blue line. So yes, I think that's where they will spend uh, whatever money that they've got here. Uh, when the doors and the window to free agency opens on Saturday, I would anticipate. I know that uh, they've been linked to Ian Cole, Carson Soucy, another name out there. You know, both of those guys, uh, some size, a little bit of grit, and certainly both have done some penalty killing. And, you know, that's going to fill a need, an immediate need for the Vancouver Canucks. So, yeah, I think today's first pick, you're looking maybe a year. I mean, maybe it's only one year at Boston University if all goes well and he acclimates uh, well to North America. But even at that, I mean, we're talking about an 18-year-old, you know, six foot one, 180 right now, but he's a teenager. He'll fill out uh, and hopefully he can bulk up a little bit. Uh, you know, maybe a year in the minors. Maybe he makes uh, the move right to the National Hockey League whenever he makes the jump. Whatever the case, yeah, I, I think that certainly the organizational needs that existed yesterday and before the first round, they still exist in terms of what Rick Tockett's going to want to work with and what Rick Tockett needs to work with to make his team better and to reach their stated goal of being a playoff team or at least make a push for the playoffs. Uh, 
they're going to have to be busy, and they've cleared up a little bit of cap space now with the OAL buyout. So uh, remarkable the way this all shakes down with round one on a Wednesday, the rest of the rounds on Thursday, and then all these teams scrambling to get home to their war rooms to get right back at it on Saturday when free agency opens. You can make the argument that a couple of teams at the very least uh, drafted players that they could have got later. Um, that allows the Canucks to avoid, I think, a, a lot of criticism that, hey, why would you draft Wheelander there? Why didn't you trade down to Buffalo to anybody and draft him there where you might have been able to get him there? I mean, it just wasn't happening at the top of the draft, was it, Jeff? Uh, there was no movement up or down by anybody. No. Uh, when Simashev went uh, as early as he did, I mean, I think that caught some people in the hockey world off guard. Uh, and it was the back-to-back defenseman. Reinbacher obviously went ahead of him and a little earlier, I think, than some thought. Uh, but you knew at that point then that there were going to be options for the Canucks, but through it all, Willander remained there. Uh, I, I know that the Canucks did like Ryan Leonard. I mean, I think every team did. He went in the, the top 10. Uh, interesting that Nate Danielson, who they were linked to as well, goes before Willander. So that took the pressure of that pick. And, you know, Nate Danielson, look, I'll give guy every opportunity, read glowing reports about him, but uh, a little surprised that he cracked the top 10 based on some of the limitations that a lot in the scouting community sort of saw in his game as a game breaker. So uh, Detroit uh, figured that he was their guy. Fair enough. Uh, but that took that option away from the Vancouver Canucks. And maybe it's good, too, that there was at least one pick of separation between the Canucks and, and Benson. If he had been the guy to go right after the Canucks had made that selection, <laughs> I mean, the comparisons will always be there well, as a local kid. But, uh, again, Arizona doing its own thing, as uh, the Coyotes so often do, and kind of went off the board twice in the first 12 picks yeah. of this draft. Yeah, and, and, and guys, I think two different ways to look at that conversation Patrick Alvin had with Buffalo Sabres general manager Kevin Adams after Simashev and Danielson went. Number one, that you know Simashev was their guy. It was a total wild card, good smoke screen. Number two, that Danielson would have been the guy over Wheelander, but also, and they were looking to move down. Or, hey, we know you like Benson. Are you willing to give us something to move up to this number eleven? Because they felt they could still get Wheelander, right? Because Arizona wasn't going to get Wheelander. They, Arizona yeah. wasn't going there. Yeah, no. after taking Simashev six overall. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, some uh, clear conscience, I think, on behalf of the Vancouver Canucks in terms of trade trades. Jeff, Saturday bring our Saturday. I'm so used to this being Friday, Saturday, <laughs> Thursday. Does Thursday bring about the opportunity for for some of that? Are you, are you confident, or where are you on that going into day two? Yeah, I mean, I'm a little surprised. Just as uh, a lot of the teams started to heat things up on the trade front, that the Canucks were not involved in the hours leading up to the draft. But we saw the JT Miller go, deal go down before the proceedings started on day two of the draft here in Vancouver back in 2019. So. Yeah, I mean, look, the Canucks, it was imperative this year after trading out of the first round the last couple of years, they had to have a first rounder. If they wanted to trade back, you know, I, I guess I was open to seeing how that would have played out, but ultimately they needed a first round pick. They have secured that now. Now they have an accumulation of picks in rounds three and four. You know, do they package some of those and try to move up a little higher without a second rounder? Do they trade back and try to, you know, more lottery tickets? In this, mm-hmm. I, I would think that Patrick Elvine will make some sort of deal at some point. They've got four third round or three, three fourth round picks. Mm-hmm. That's a lot in any one round. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, there was a deal to be made there uh, one way or the other. And yeah, I, I just think the fact that uh, 
you know, he, he, he's been quiet. We know that that's the way Patrick Alvin seems to like to operate is in that vacuum where you wonder what's going on with this front office. And so often they spring these moves, whether it was the JT Miller signing, was it the OEL buyout recently. Uh, you know, I don't think we hear a lot of chatter. Patrick Elling keeps the, the cards close to his vest. So uh, I'm not sure that he's going to tip his hand as, uh, to his plans, but uh, I'd be a little surprised, I think, uh, now that they've got their first rounder in the bank, if they aren't active in some way on the trade front. Jeff did it for the welcome mat today. It's a big list. Port Moody's Ryan Johansson, Ross Colton, Alex Newhook, the XBCHLer, Kevin Hayes, Gabe Velarde, Rasmus Kuperi. All centers that have been traded. And then Jordan Stahl, Eric Halla, David Camp, Sean Monahan, and today Ivan Barbashev also re-signed by their existing clubs. How concerned are you getting uh, about the um, pool of available third-line centermen for these Vancouver Canucks, either via trade or on Max the free Sesson agent market? Max Sesson is so excited right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because we know that's their a big need, and in fact, Alvin identified it as their biggest need prior to the OEL buyout. Yeah, I'm not too concerned. Like, I just don't think they were ever going to be in the market for big money, big names in that third-line center. I still think a guy like a Nick Bustad could possibly be of value to the Vancouver Canucks. Size and a little bit of penalty-killing utility. Had a decent year in Arizona before he was picked up by the Oilers at the trade deadline. I mean, that's a name that I'm looking at, but I don't know that they're locked into him. I still think when we talk about the trade route, uh, the fact that the Canucks have some cap space, I think that they could take on uh, a distressed asset from somebody else that's trying to clear out some cap space. So, yeah, I mean, you throw around some names, no question about it. Those ones come off the board, but uh, there will be some players there, and I think it's up to the Canucks, and this is where the pro scouting has to really play a role. They did that with a Dakota Joshua last year. Can they find you know, an unpolished gem, perhaps, that uh, they can find and either, you know, and this is more about free agency than it is a trade, but if they go the trade route, you know, this is where your analytics department has to do its homework in lockstep with the pro scouting department and maybe find a guy that uh, you think just needs an opportunity. So there'll be some players out there. They may not blow everybody out in the water with what they do here in free agency, but I do think that there'll be players to a small degree. The other thing too is though, Matt, you now listed off some of that activity here of late. I mean, this Pacific division with Pierre-Luc Dubois now in Los Angeles, the arms race down the middle is just insane with McDavid and Dreisaitl, Eichel in Vegas, obviously. The fact that Los Angeles could pull off that deal and retain Quinton Byfield, and they still got Kopitar and Philip Deneau, and Anaheim's grooming some good young centers there. Seattle, obviously, with Matty Veneers, and then you got Elias Patterson and JT Miller as the one-two punch here. Uh, really, it's uh, every single night in the division, and who knows what kind of lineup Calgary's going to ice, but uh, just so many good pivots in the specific division here uh, starting next season. It got maligned, this division, a little bit, didn't it, over the last couple of years? And uh, I don't think it's going to get that reputation uh, in the next year or two, at the very least. No, and Adelio Carlson, I guess, too. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and that's where yeah. the, the surprises began, and we'll see if yeah. he steps right in. Uh, but yeah, uh, I, I do think that... Uh, you know, we've seen like the Los Angeles Kings uh, for years there. That was the, the, you know, Bermuda Triangle. You didn't want to go through California. And then they all kind of took a step back. The Kings have emerged. But boy, I like what the Ducks are doing there. And uh, we'll see if Mike Greer and the San Jose Sharks can get their act together. Because I don't think it'll be that long before teams are going to fear having to make that uh, three-game trip through the Golden State. There's again. always San Jose. There's always well, San Jose. Uh, and, and guys, and Jeff, if I can just put this bee in your bonnet here. Um 
How good would a second first-round pick have looked for these Vancouver Canucks at number 17, where Axel Sandin Pelica is the choice of the Detroit Red Wings? Of course, the Islanders' first-round pick acquired through Vancouver for Philip Ronick. Guys, Detroit stepped up to make that pick with Oliver Moore, Sandin Pelica, the local kid Andrew Crystal, Colby Barlow, who the Canucks took out to dinner at the Combine, and some others, Gabe Perot. And some others available. Well, a deep draft. Uh, yeah, I think that Pelica pick is also going to sort of resonate with Zach Benson uh, as the years go by with this draft. Well, the fascinating part to me, guys, is I still wonder why were the Detroit Red Wings willing to part with Philip Perona, a 25-year-old right-shot defenseman? I know they have more cider there, but mm-hmm. they essentially pedal Philip Ronick to the Canucks, land this first rounder, and use it to take another young right shot defenseman. And so mm-hmm. uh, you would have thought that the Red Wings, sort of in that same boat as the Canucks, trying to you know work their way out of a, a funk and climb their way back into uh, contention. And like Philip Ronick looked like he checked a lot of boxes, but they were willing to part with him, and they've sort of reloaded with another right shot defenseman. You know, obviously a few years younger. I want to give Ronick every opportunity. Yeah, yep. this guy can play. He's going to help the Canucks. Um, but I still, like where the Red Wings were in their competitive evolution, I, I do wonder why Philip Ronick was available uh, and able to land the price. That, uh, Let's hope we never well, find out the answer. Well, Let's hope we never I, find I, I, out I think why. part of the answer will come next summer when the Canucks have to uh, negotiate yeah. an extension Perhaps. with Ronick. That yeah. was the word out of Detroit, that he was looking to cash in and wasn't going to budge much. Uh, with regards to a team-friendly deal. Jeff, marvelous stuff. We'll get we'll let you get to Andrew and Rinkwide. Uh, if news happens tomorrow, we'll hear from you. Otherwise, on Friday, you're in for Blake here. Appreciate this. All right, guys, thanks. Secure some price from Wall Center. You can text us, 778-402-9680. It's the Great Clips text message inbox. Great Clips. Yeah, it's going to be great. Boy, been an interesting day, and more is to come this week and as the summer moves along. Let's get to errors and omissions from yesterday's program. I have a couple here, Grady Sass, both on myself. Um, boy, I've struggled with this kid's name all draft season. Axel Sandin, Sandin Palika. Pelica. Pelica. It is Pelica. Oh, Pelica. <laughs> Sorry. Pelica, not Pelica. See? The struggle continues. At least that's what the Swedish guy on Elite Prospect, most, a lot of people are calling him Pelica, but uh, if you go to Elite Prospect and you pay the premium account, you can hit the little mm-hmm. sounder, and it's uh, actually a, a, an ethnic person from that corner of the world pronouncing it, and it's Pelica. And there's no Thank hyphen you. there either. I'm no, no hyphen. Yes, we've learned that as well. I've already been on Ease and O's. Uh, Boy, pronunciation and written on him. <laughs> I've had East Nose. And then I mentioned the LA Kings trading their stable of young right shot defensemen. I mentioned Sean Walker, who is a right shot defenseman, but the other young one I was thinking of was Helga Granz, who they traded also in that Proveroff Philadelphia deal. So it was Brock Faber last year and then Sean Dursey and Helga Granz. Yes. This year, uh, as young right shot defensemen, the Kings have moved out. What else you got there? Yeah, speaking of uh, Swedish defensemen, Blake yesterday referred to Philip Johansson as that Finnish kid they signed. No, I was talking about the uh, goalie for Ian Clark. Right. Oh. Ian O within the body oh, of Ian O. No. Oh, no. It's like Andrews adjudicating <laughs> again. Uh, we, had, we were talking the Quinn Hughes-Norris omissions. Uh, he got second place votes by David Quadrelli and Helen St. James. Yeah. The two. 
Helene St. James. It's actually Helene. Oh, <laughs> God. Uh, it, uh, you can uh, be forgiven wow. for if We're you didn't to know it. Helene, uh, the Hockey Hall of Famer. Yes. All right. Bodog line of the daytime featuring Blake Price. Are, are, are we wrong? It's Helene Elliott. Maybe it is Helen St. James. It's Helene Elliott, Helen St. James. Oh, Slot. damn right we are. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Helene Elliott in Los Angeles. Helen St. James in Detroit. Detroit. Yeah, so it's our, our bad. There you go. We all were E's within E's and O's. The cycle never ends. When E's and O's creates a bigger mess than it <laughs> would have otherwise corrected. It's been a long day here it has been. on drafting. Yerky's salivating right now. Oh, oh yeah, Yerky's he's making a list. Uh, Bodog line of the daytime with Blake Price. Bodog, your source, free casino games, poker strategy, sports odds. Who you like, what you got? You know, it seems this seems low still, but I think it's not a bad bet. I mean, considering how little Ricky Fowler wins, he should always be a big number. But he's playing so well lately. Ricky Fowler in the reduced field. Like, if yeah. ever there was yep. a time for Ricky Fowler to rise above yep. the fray... It would be this one at the Rocket Mortgage Classic. I say reduced field. It's a decent field. Like Keegan Bradley's playing, Morikawa. Not an elevated event. It's not an elevated event. Plus 1,400. On Ricky Fowler. On your Bodog line of the day. Thanks for listening, everybody. A reminder to follow us and Rinkwide wherever you get your podcasts. And please do support the community sponsors you hear us talking about. Keep it local.